0: Turn your copy of God's word or turn on your copy of God's word to Matthew chapter 11, the dungeon of doubt. We just finished our series on Elijah, both a prophet of courage and confusion. There was a time we joined Elijah on Mount Carmel as he called forth fire from heaven. On another occasion in Mount Horeb, he literally hid in the cave of confusion, having a prophetic pity party. Propping up his pouting prophet, God sues Elijah's spirits and sends him back to work with the task of anointing kings and anointing his successor, Elijah. And yes, even one more showdown with evil Ahab and his bell-worshipping wife Jezebel. Elijah declared their demise and untimely death as a result of their murderous acquisition of Naboth's vineyard. And then Elijah's story had a most mysterious ending. As the Lord took him up in a whirlwind to heaven, He's one of the few Old Testament characters who has the privilege of not having to die. Abraham died. Even Moses died. David died. But not Elijah. No. A chariot of fire pulled by horses of fire takes him up to heaven in a whirlwind. Given his glorious departure. The rumors were rampant about his impending return. In fact, have you ever noticed how the Old Testament ends, the end of Malachi, Malachi 4? It ends with the word that says, Elijah's coming back. Look, I'm going to send Elijah before the day of the Lord, before the day of the Messiah. We end the Old Testament looking for Elijah to return, says the prophet Malachi. So with the prophetic prediction, with the glorious whirlwind of fire, everybody looks for when will Elijah return? Remember, Jesus, the controversial rabbi, was dying on the cross. He cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, the bystanders say, he's calling for Elijah. We're waiting on Elijah. I think he must be calling for Elijah to save him. And even today, I'm told at an Orthodox Jewish home at Passover, there's an empty chair left for Elijah. The empty space is a space of hope. Will the final words of the old book be fulfilled? Will scripture be fulfilled? Look, I send my prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. I'm sending Elijah. Yeah, you know, we finished with Elijah and so appropriately, This one Sunday, we look at John the Baptist. For in 1114, there in your text, Jesus says, If you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah, the one who is to come. Jesus realized that not everyone would be able to accept the fact that John the Baptizer is Elijah, the promised return of Elijah. But then he says in verse 15, Let the person who has ears to hear really listen. Jesus is telling us that John is a prophet, even more than a prophet. He is the preparer of the way of the Lord. He's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi. Jesus goes so far to say in Matthew 11, among those born of women before the arrival of the kingdom of God, there is no one who's trod the earth who is greater than John. Elijah, therefore, John the Baptist, therefore, is the terminus of all prophecy. It ends right here with John. He is the herald declaring it's finally here, it's over. The kingdom of God has arrived in Jesus. Now Jesus, of course, is not saying that John the Baptist is Elijah reincarnated. That would be bad theology, and it's not necessary. But rather, it's something what Luke's version tells us in Luke 117, where it says, John the baptizer came in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. The similarities between Elijah and John the baptizer are too many to miss. First of all, like Elijah living in the de- desert waiting for the ravens to bring him meat in the morning and the evening, John wore his wild leather garb and ate grasshoppers and honey. And just as Elijah had no fear in preaching against the evil king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, telling them about the seriousness of their sin, just so John confronts Herod and his wife Herodias with their evil deeds. And today we see just as Elijah spends some time in the cave of confusion, Having a prophetic pity party, John the Baptist sits today in the dungeon of doubt, days that the very Messiah he has announced has not delivered him from Herod's dungeon. Having just looked at Elijah, today we look at the one who comes in the spirit and in the power of Elijah, John the Baptist who, like Elijah, finds his, himself this morning dazed by doubt and defeat. Max Lucado says that John the Baptist was the child of the desert. He was a leathery face, tanned skin, clothing of animal skins. All that he owned in the whole world would fit in just a single pouch. His walls were the mountain. His ceiling were the stars of the wilderness, but not anymore, not in today's text. His frontier is walled out. His horizon is hidden. The stars that he used to gaze at are now merely memories. The fresh air of the wilderness is all but forgotten, and the stench of the dungeon of the jail relentlessly reminds a child of the desert that he is now at last a captive of the evil king. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Christ, A relative of our Jesus, the one who cries in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God, is here. But his voice is no longer crying in the wilderness. Now he's crying in the dungeon of doubt. John got on the king's bad side. When he called him on the carpet, King Herod had succumbed to the enticement of his brother's wife, Herodias. He divorced his wife, brought his sister-in-law home from Rome, and John the Baptist didn't care if he was the king. John pounced on Herod like a desert scorpion, denouncing the marriage for what it was, adultery. Now, Herod was ready to let it go, but not Herodias. The steamy seductress wasn't about to have her social climbing exposed, so she told Herod to take John off the preaching circuit since he was preaching against her and throw him in the dungeon and the prison. But that wasn't enough to satisfy her. She had her beautiful daughter dance for Herod and his men at a stag party. Herod, who was as easily duped as he was aroused, promised to do anything for this pretty young thing. Anything, you name it, up to half my kingdom. It must have been some more dance. Anything you want, up to half my kingdom. Her mother was waiting in the wings. Yeah, tell him all you want is the head of John the Baptist served on a platter. Herod had promised anything, so he knew he had to go through. Besides, it was more important to save his own face and to save the neck of an eccentric prophet. John dies because Herod lusts. The good is murdered while the bad smirk. And a man of God is killed while a man of passion is winking at his knees. That's where we are today in the text. Is this how God rewards his anointing? Is this how he honors his faithful? Is this how God crowns the chosen with a dark dungeon and a shiny blade? The inconsistency was more than John could bear. Even before Herod reached his verdict that John was going to be beheaded, he, had, he asked a question to Jesus. Look in chapter 11 to verse 3. Then John said to Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for another? Are you really the one to come? Or do we need to start looking for a different Messiah? I think John has some honest doubts. Psychological reconstructions of biblical texts are always conjectural, but there can be no doubt that John was confused by everything that was happening around him. This is the one who on the banks of the Jordan had told them, yes, I baptize you with water. There's coming one who will baptize you with fire. He has a winnowing fork, and he will separate the chaff, and he will throw it in the unquenchable fire. But the Messianic ministry of Jesus the Messiah had not measured up to John's expectations to any of Israel's standard, to be clear. He wasn't quite so sure. After all, would not a Messiah secure the release of his forerunner, John? Luke gives us account that John sends disciples. Luke tells us two disciples to inquire of Jesus. And so they ask, are you really the one? Or do we need to look for another? Are you the coming one? The question is posed. Of course, it plays off of prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah. And a redeemer will come to Zion. It plays off of Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Are you the coming one of the prophet Isaiah? Are you the coming one of the psalmist? Are you the one who is to come, who brings the glorious day of the Lord, who releases Israel? Are you the one? How could the one who had had the very highest view of Jesus, the one who stood on the banks of the river and declared, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. How can he now question Jesus? Are you really? Are you really the one? Because he's languishing in the dungeon of doubt. How could Jesus, who had promised to set free the prisoners in Luke 4, not even get John out of jail? Why were there no imminent signs of the judgment of the wicked that John had predicted? Where was his winnowing fork that would take the chaff, chaff like Herod and Herodias, and throw them into forever fire? In fact, Jesus' messiahship so little resembled the expectations of the liberation of Israel that John begins to have his doubts. John has unmet expectations with Jesus. Have you ever been there? John has unmet expectations with Jesus. Has he ever disappointed you? John is in trouble. He is in Herod's dungeon. For what? For preaching the truth boldly. And now Jesus is going around conducting business as usual. Is this what Messiahs do when trouble comes to their followers? Is this what God does when his followers are in a bind? Jesus' silence was loud enough to chisel chisel a leak in the dam of John's belief. Are you the coming one? Or I need to start looking for somebody else. We've all been right there with John before. Those times when we expected when Jesus would do this, but he did that, and so we asked, why, why, why? Are you really? We wonder. A dear widow in Cleveland feels that way. I'm sitting alone tonight thinking that suicide would be easier than living, she writes. Now that my husband has died, it's been 14 months since Ed's sudden death. He was 55. We have married 37 years. We did absolutely everything together. Ed's funeral was the biggest one the town had ever seen. Where are those people now? The couples we socialized with for years have dropped me like a hot potato. Don't they realize I'm still the same person? I just don't have Ed now. I joined a golf club, a volunteer one day a week at the hospital. But the lonely hours, I wonder what's the matter with me that no one invites me anymore. I am ready to give up. She writes. Maybe you know that ready to give up feeling too. The feeling of John the Baptist, the feeling of the widow from Cleveland, the feeling that we discover when we ourselves reside in Herod's dungeon of doubt. Is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah? Then why? Why are we confined and why are we downtrodden and why are we pressed from every side and why hardship on top of hardship and why sickness upon sickness and tragedy upon tragedy? Then why? Are you really the coming one? Or do we need to start opening our eyes and looking around the corner for another Messiah? Jesus gives his answer in verse four. He sends the inquires back to John, their rabbi, with the instructions, you tell him what you're hearing, and you tell him what you're seeing. Now it is up to John to grasp the implications of the messianic expectations. Faith is always like that. It's never just a parody back what I say to you or, or, or the Scripture says to you. Faith is a personal response. You tell John these messianic implications, and John will have to choose his own response to what he hears. It's an allusion to Isaiah 29. It's an allusion to Isaiah 35. It's an allusion to Isaiah 61. If it feels what Jesus has been doing in this gospel in chapters 8 and 9, and now we're in chapter 11, you go and tell John. Look at verse 5. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is the one who keeps from stumbling over me. Jesus knew the mission God had assigned him. He knew he'd been sent by the Father. John's doubts make, don't make Jesus insecure. And he knew that John would recognize the fulfillment of the Isaiahic passages in his response. Perhaps some of you here this morning, or some of you watching by live stream or TV, perhaps you're right there with John the Baptist. You're right there with the widow from Cleveland. If the gospel is really true, then why do I hurt so badly? Why is life like a dungeon empty, null, and void? But I want you to hear me this morning. Our doubts, just like John's doubt, don't change who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Holy One of Israel. He is the only begotten of the Father. And like John the Baptist, we want to place our own expectations on when and how Jesus must act in our lives. And when by our own reed of measure, he doesn't rescue us as we think he ought, we begin to ponder, are you really the one? It's okay to be in the dungeon of doubt. John was there. And most of us at some time in our own lives, due to life circumstances, will be there. I think it's incredibly interesting how Jesus responds in verse 7 and following. Now, you need to remember that this was a public question. Jesus is out doing business as usual and teaching, and the disciples of John the Baptist come up and ask Jesus in public, are you the coming one, or do we need to look for another? So Jesus makes a public response. Look how Jesus continues. What did you go out in the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I will tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. They ask a public question. Jesus gives them a public answer. He does not diminish the role of John the Baptist because of his doubts at all. He is a prophet, he is a more than a prophet, he fulfills the prophecy of Malachi, he is the one preparing the way for me, the Messiah. You see, if they were questioning John's role, now they might question Jesus' role. Jesus assures the crowd of John's prophetic ministry and thus assures the crowd of his own messianic claims. John himself Even in the dungeon of Herod is still the threshold of the kingdom of God. Rather than disparaging John the Baptist, look what he says about him verse 11. In fact, I will tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there is not one arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And yet he was, at least in the kingdom, is even greater than John. From the days of John the Baptist, now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And violent men try to take it by force. You see, he is the Messiah. But ever since the beginning of the kingdom of God, the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom has been under assault by evil forces. Despite all the blessings that we might expect to arrive with the presence of the Messiah, even in John's day, there is opposition and there is battle and there's suffering and there's prison and there's a dungeon and there's pain. John is arrested by Herod. The Jewish teachers are opposing Jesus. And the people are becoming more discontent with Jesus' refusal to enact the revolt against Rome. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah. But until the complete fulfillment of the kingdom of God, hear me, even the Messiah will suffer. No, we might say especially the Messiah will suffer. In fact, that's what Jesus does as reinterprets the meaning of Messiah to be the suffering servant of Isaiah. He is the lamb that is slaughtered. It is not God who brings our suffering. It is the enemy himself, the powers of darkness, even Satan himself. But God never promises people that we will not suffer In fact, this morning, if we're going to follow the chief one who suffered, the Messiah we too must expect to continue to live in the harsh and broken world ripped apart by the power of sin. God's perfect creation has gone awry and waits restoration. There's a reason why some of the great hymns of faith last hundreds of years. Some thousands. There's one written in 1824, Jesus, I my cross have taken, the music's arranged by Mozart. Listen to these incredible words. Jesus, I my cross have taken, all to leave and follow thee, naked, poor, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought and hoped and known, Yet how rich is my condition, God and heaven are still my own. Go then earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn and pain. In thy service pain is pleasure, with thy favor loss is gain. I have called you, Abba, Father, I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather, all must work for good to me. You can build your faith on something like that. The days when you're in the dungeon and God makes no sense. As a a psalmist would say, I will hold you even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because of me, you don't have to even fear evil. Life and reality can never take us by surprise again because we've seen what evil has done to Jesus and today, John the Baptist. Everything we have is committed to our Christ, whether we understand him today or whether we do not, whether it's crystal clear or whether it's foggy in our own minds. The awesome why, the demands of answer fades when we look at the significance of the person of Christ. It's not our responsibility to explain everything that happens in our lives. God has not given us all the pieces of the puzzle. We can't quite put it all together yet, and that's okay. John the Baptist couldn't put his puzzle together for a moment in Herod's dungeon. Instead, we just let go and let God Therein lies the peace that passes understanding. There's some of you here this morning in the throes of divorce. To you, I say, he is still the Messiah. There's some of you here this morning who even this week have heard the word cancer. I say to you, he's still the Messiah. There's some of you here this morning, we stood here and did a funeral yesterday, who've been stung by the sting of death. I saved you this morning, he is still the Messiah. There's some of you this morning who've been laid off from your place of prominence and position. I saved you this morning, he is still the Messiah. Some of you this morning, if you were to address a letter, you'd have the same return Address as John the Baptizer. You just write on there the dungeon of doubt. That's your address today, like it was John's. Jesus gives John the answer. John wants to know if I'm the coming one. Well, you go tell John that everything that Isaiah predicted has come to pass. You go tell John that those who are blind are now receiving sight. You tell John that those who are deaf can now hear and speak. You tell John that you have seen lame men leaping. You tell John you've even been there when the dead were raised. You tell John that those who do not stumble over the new definition of Messiah as a suffering servant, they will be blessed. You tell John I am he. No matter how John doubts, Jesus is still the Messiah. Even if you share John's confusion this morning, he's still the Messiah. Even when you don't understand him, love him and praise him. Let us pray. Oh God, this morning there's some who hurt, some who find themselves in difficult days. God, I pray for those who hurt this morning. I, I pray that they have been affirmed by the story of John the Baptist, that one who had the boldness of faith always found himself in a moment of doubt. And just as John the Baptist heard the word, Jesus is still Jesus, I pray they hear that word this morning too. May they know your love, may they know of your care, and may they know that those who are crucified with Jesus are also resurrected with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.